Amen. You can be seated. Good morning. Good morning to our viewers online as well. Uh, this is the last message in the Malachi series. Can you believe that next weekend is the first weekend of Advent? Like, um, so Christmas is <laughs> coming. Um, next weekend, we'll be launching a new sermon series uh, on Advent called O Holy Night. And uh, then we plan to have uh, one service on Christmas Eve uh, at 4 p.m. It'll be a family service that's uh, we're shooting for about 60 minutes long. So it'll be a short message, plenty of special music, uh, including me making my debut singing here at Life Church. So you may not, you know, applaud after you hear me. So. <laughs> So I welcome your honest feedback. All right. So we, we really want it to be a special service uh, that celebrates the birth of our Lord. So one of the things uh, as a church we're wanting to do this Christmas season is to reach out more into our community. And uh, to that end, I want to tell you about a couple things that are coming up. Uh, one is a Life Church Christmas outreach. Um, we've identified... Uh, now six was five, I found out this morning six, um, but on the screen it'll be five, um, at-risk groups in our community that we want to bless with Christmas presents this year. And so the first is the elderly um, at Pioneer Care Center and LB Homes. The second is victims of trafficking, um, and that's through Someplace Safe. These are all organizations in our community. Victims of domestic violence also through Someplace Safe. Um, those with disabilities and mental health issues, and that's through Crisis Stabilization Unit, and then foster kids, kids who are looking to be adopted, and that'll be through Nexus Family Healing. And then the one I found out about this morning uh, is through Operation Christmas Child. And so starting next Sunday, uh, you'll be able to go out into the gathering space and sign out a person or a family to buy Christmas presents for. Um, a person or a family from one of these six groups. And then you would bring those Christmas presents back to the church by a certain date. Um, all of the instructions, all the details will be out there for you. Um, you can do this with your family. You can do this with your small group. You can do this with your, the ministry team that you're a part of. Or you can just do it uh, by yourself if you want. Um, over the years, I've done this thing uh, with my, done this with my small group, done it with my family. Uh, we go shopping together, we wrap presents together, um, it's a lot of fun. Um, so in addition to this Christmas outreach, um, we're working towards, two being able to take up a special Christmas offering uh, that would be split evenly between three local outreach ministries in our community. So uh, you'll be able to give to the special offering the three Sundays leading up to Christmas Eve, and then again uh, on Christmas Eve. So... Uh, working out the details on that, I'll let you know as soon as we have that ironed out. But please, please, please be praying over both the Christmas outreach and this Christmas offering. We really want it to become part of our DNA uh, moving forward uh, that we serve and we love on our community in practical ways that demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ, right? And hopefully this is just the beginning. So, on to our message this morning. The day is coming. 
The day is coming. What day am I talking about? Is it Thanksgiving? Uh, no, I'm not talking about Thanksgiving. Although hanging out with family and eating turkey and watching football, it's fun. How about Black Friday, day after Thanksgiving? Biggest shopping day of the year. Um, a lot of people get excited about that. Um, that is not the day I'm talking about. How about Christmas? Um, it's only 33 days until Christmas. I looked it up on the calendar. Um, how many of you are already listening to Christmas music? Ah, there's a few of you. Like diehard Christmas music people. Yeah, absolutely. But that's not it either. That's not the day I'm talking about. I'm talking about... Uh, the big day I'm talking about is the day of the Lord, right? Um, it is the day of Christ's return. It is the second coming of Christ. It is judgment day. And that's the day we read about as we come uh, to the end of the book of Malachi. We come to the end of the Old Testament. Um, and that's the main topic uh, that we'll be discussing this morning is the day of the Lord. So... Most of you uh, know that uh, I grew up in Florida and was pretty poor growing up. Um, unfortunately, being poor growing up in Florida, one of the things that um, we had to learn to live with was cockroaches. You know, cockroaches? Um, lots of cockroaches. I would hate to go into the kitchen at night because I would turn on the lights and they would just scatter. Right, gross, huh? So a day is coming when God is going to flip on the lights and everything will be seen, right? When all of mankind will ultimately be exposed and be divided into two groups, God's children and God's enemies. It's called the day of the Lord or the day of judgment. The day of the Lord is mentioned over 20 times in the Bible. Um, and it refers to a day at some point in the future when all of God's people on the earth uh, will face God's judgment. For those who are in opposition to God, um, meaning they deny any need for God's mercy and God's grace, um, they deny the saving work of Jesus Christ, that day for them will be a horrible day. Okay, so I have a few scriptures for you. Uh, Isaiah 2.12 says, For the Lord of heaven's armies has a day of reckoning. He will punish the proud and mighty and bring down everything that is exalted. Isaiah 13.6, Scream in terror, for the day of the Lord has arrived. The time for the Almighty to destroy. Ezekiel 30, verses 2 and 3, Weep and wail for that day. For the terrible day is almost here, the day of the Lord. It is a day of clouds and gloom, a day of despair for the nations. And then Revelation 16, 14. They are demonic spirits who work miracles and go out to all the rulers of the world to gather them for battle against the Lord on that great judgment day of God the Almighty. So in the Bible, the, the day of the Lord is almost exclusively described as a day of destruction, darkness, and division. 
few more scriptures. Joel 1.15 says, The day of the Lord is near, the day when destruction comes from the Almighty. How terrible that day will be. Joel 2, 1 and 2 and verse 11. Sound the trumpet in Jerusalem. Raise the alarm on my holy mountain. Let everyone tremble in fear because the day of the Lord is upon us. It is a day of darkness and gloom, a day of thick clouds and deep blackness. The day of the Lord is an awesome, terrible thing. Who can possibly survive? And then Zephaniah 1, 14 to 16 says... That terrible day of the Lord is near. Swiftly it comes. A day of bitter tears. A day when even strong men will cry out. It will be a day when the Lord's anger is poured out. A day of terrible distress and anguish. A day of ruin and desolation. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and blackness. A day of trumpet calls and battle cries. Down go the walled cities and the strongest battlements. And a couple more, Zechariah 14.1. Watch for the day of the Lord is coming when your possessions will be plundered right in front of you. And then the last one, 2 Peter 3.10. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise. And the very elements themselves will disappear in fire. And the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. So the New Testament also calls the day of the Lord a day of wrath and says that it will come suddenly like a thief in the night, right? Followers of Jesus are told to be ready for it, but it will not be a time of judgment for them. Anyone who is covered by Christ's work on the cross will not have to face judgment. Jesus said this, He said, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. John 3, 17 and 18. But when the day of the Lord comes, it will be a horror for those who haven't believed in the son of God. So what do we need to know in order to be prepared for the day of the Lord? Um, I want us to take a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, and then we'll unpack that. It says, now concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you, for you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. When people are saying, everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin, and there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. For you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, 
not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. Now, I hope this doesn't happen, but imagine somebody uh, breaks into your house tonight. Um, Do you think that they'll text you and let you know that they're planning to come at 2.30 a.m.? Do you think they will give you a call and see if it's okay to rob you? No, a thief in the night comes by surprise. It is sudden and it is unexpected. And the day of the Lord will be like that. Uh, A pregnant woman might have her bags packed for the hospital, but she doesn't know when her labor pains will kick in. And once they do, that's it, right? Can't say to the baby, hold on, I'm in the middle of watching this movie. I need to finish it, right? The day of the Lord will be sudden. Unexpecters won't, or unbelievers won't expect it. Um, They'll think they're okay, but they're not. The day of the Lord will be sudden, but for the disciple of Christ, it won't be surprising. We might not know the date, but we know it's coming. Have you ever been to a surprise party, like a a birthday party? Um, Nine years ago, when I turned 40, my wife Jackie threw me one. Um, it was actually uh, my first birthday party. I had never had one prior to that. I think she felt sorry for me. <laughs> so she threw me a, a, a surprise birthday party. But all of our friends were in on it. Uh, they had me thinking that we were doing something else. And I remember walking into our, our town home at the time and like there were all these people there. It was like, surprise! And I was just shocked. I was clueless. I had no, I I didn't have any expectation of having this. So Paul says that as believers, we aren't in the dark about the day of the Lord. We know that Jesus is going to return, right? We won't be surprised. He's coming. Maybe you look at the evil in the world and you see the way things are going and you wonder, when is God going to judge the evil that is in this world? When is he going to make it stop? We live in a day where very few fear God's judgment. Um, For a lot of people, the God that they believe in um, is a kind, tolerant old man um, who would never send anyone except like the worst people to hell. A lot of people today believe that like, unless you are like a terrorist or a, a mass murderer, um, you don't have anything to fear on Judgment Day. A lot of people today believe that it is enough to just be a good person. And most of us, um, I would venture to say, um, you know, according to these people, are good, we're good people and we'll... we'll most of us will end up in heaven someday, right? That's the common belief. But it is incredibly important that we base our view of God on what and what's to come on the Bible, what it says, right, and not what our culture thinks. If we join those people 
uh, in believing that God's judgment is nothing to fear, uh, when in fact we're in danger of coming under that very judgment, we will be absolutely surprised on the day of the Lord. Um, and not like a surprise birthday party, it'll be a horror show. So, uh, Malachi 4, 1 through 3, uh, you just heard it in the NLT. I want to read it in the ESV translation. It says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. So here's something uh, else we know about this day. Um, the day of the Lord is definitely coming, right? Verse one says it twice. The day is coming. The day is coming, right? Twice in verses one through three, um, it's emphasized that this warning comes from none other than the Lord of hosts, right? The Lord of heaven's armies, the one who rules over the entire universe. Paul said in Acts 17, 31, he said, he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the, day, from the dead. So if the Lord has fixed that day, you can count on it, right? It's definitely coming. So the irony um, is that the very people who need to fear this coming day of judgment are usually the ones who scoff at it. Just because judgment is delayed doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. The day is coming. Okay, another thing that we know uh, is this. The day of the Lord is coming with awful terror for all of those who scoff at God. They are counted among the enemies of God. So the ones who should fear this coming day um, are described in Malachi as the arrogant, the evildoers, and the wicked. And the word for arrogant here um, of course, includes like those with an inflated self, like sense of self-importance, right? Um, but it also includes defiance and rebelliousness. Okay? The words uh, for evildoer and wicked uh, come from the same Hebrew uh, root word and talk about evil thoughts, words, and deeds that are contrary to God's character. So at the root of, of wickedness, uh, or evil in God's sight, it really boils down to self-reliance and self-centeredness. It's the person who thinks that he's good enough on his own to get into heaven. Um, he doesn't understand how absolutely holy and perfect God is. And he doesn't understand how utterly corrupt our hearts, all of our hearts, are without Jesus Christ. Okay. Uh, this person sets his own standard of righteousness, usually comparing himself to others. Right? He'll say, um, well, at least I'm not as bad as that guy. Or I'm definitely better than those people. 
right? And he thinks that somehow his good works will give him a passing grade on the day of judgment. But God sees everything. He sees everything done in the dark, things no one knows, even our thoughts. He knows all of those. Even if somehow we could stop sinning now and somehow just like we just did good deeds for the rest of our lives, um, there is no way we could measure up to his perfect holy standard. So in Malachi, um, he describes the arrogant and the wicked as straw or chaff uh, and that day as burning like a furnace. It'll be so hot, they'll be consumed, root, branches, and all. Okay? In other words, no one will recover from this scorching heat. So it's interesting where people land uh, theologically when we talk about hell. And by the way, um, I am a firm believer that one cannot understand and have an appreciation for the doctrine of the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ without some understanding of the doctrine of hell, Amen. right? What is it that we were saved from, right? We're going to talk about that a little bit today. Um, some have a hard time with the idea of people, right? This is natural. <laughs> the idea of people being tormented and burned in flames for eternity, right? So they rationalize that, that people will suffer in hell for a certain amount of time, um, but then they'll just cease to exist. Um, that's called annihilationism. Annihilationism. So while that idea makes the idea of hell seem less horrific, um, Jesus himself, he talked about eternal punishment in the same sentence that he talked about eternal life. It's in Matthew 25, verse 46. He says, and they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. So if eternal life is forever, then eternal punishment must be forever. Revelation 20.10 says, then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Jesus described hell as a place uh, in Mark 9, 48, where the maggots never die and the fire never goes out. So to turn the doctrine of eternal punishment, of hell, into this idea of annihilationism is to contradict the very words of Jesus himself. Another common error uh, when we're talking about um, hell is um, that we need to avoid is this idea of universalism. So this is the idea that um, somehow, in the end, um, everyone will be saved. So there are different versions of this. Uh, some say that sinners may go through a time of punishment in hell, um, but ultimately they'll be saved. Others teach um, that because Christ died for all, everyone will be saved. Universalism goes all the way back like to the earliest days of Christianity. It was actually one of the original heresies of, of the Christian church. So the truth is that as we see here in Malachi, um, chapter 4, God says 
The day of judgment is coming, burning like a furnace. On that day, the arrogant and the wicked will be burned up like straw. They will be consumed, roots, branches, and all. So the next thing I want to point out is this. The coming day of judgment should bring great comfort to all of those who fear the Lord. The purpose of these verses is to comfort the Lord's people, especially those uh, who at the time were being persecuted because of their faith. Verses 4, uh, chapter 4, 2 and 3 says, But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, and you will go free, leaping with joy like calves led out to pasture. On the day when I act, you will tread upon the wicked as if they were dust under your feet, says the Lord of Heaven's armies. So let me talk for a second about uh, this idea of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. For the unbeliever, the fear of God is the fear of judgment of God, right? The judgment of God. For the believer, the fear of God is something much different. The believer's fear is awe and reverence of God. So Hebrews 12, 28 and 29 uh, describes this well. It says, since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a devouring fire. Right? Holy fear and awe. So here's an important point. If we fear God now, we don't need to fear his judgment on the day of the Lord. Right? It's ironic that those who should fear God's judgment often scoff at the idea, but those who need not fear his judgment often worry about it. Right? I suspect that it is because of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Right? He gives us a sensitivity. He gives us a tender consciousness um, to God's holiness and his justice, right? Those of us um, who believe know that it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God for judgment. If we're in Christ, if we've been, in the words we use when we baptize people, if we've been buried with Christ in baptism and we've been raised to walk in newness of life, we do not need to fear judgment. All right, so the core doctrinal positions of the Protestant Reformation, sometimes I nerd out, I'm gonna nerd out here just a little bit. The core doctrinal positions of the Protestant Reformation um, are five Latin phrases referred to as the five solas. You might have heard of these. So they are sola scriptura, solus Christus, sola gratia, sola fide, in soli Deo Gloria, right? Sola Scriptura means Scripture alone. That's what that translates as. Scripture alone is our final and highest authority. Amen? Okay. Solus Christus, another Latin phrase, means Christ alone. Christ alone, fully God, fully man, is our only means of salvation. That's it. Christ alone. Okay? The third one. Sola gratia, it means grace alone. Grace alone is how we are saved from our sins, 
not by our works. Right? The fourth one, sola fide, right? Faith alone. Faith alone. We are saved from our sins by faith alone in the work of Christ and his sacrifice on the cross at Calvary. Right? And the fifth one, soli deo gloria, right? The glory of God alone. This means that God alone is the one who is, the, who is to receive all glory. He alone is the author and the finisher of our salvation. Okay, the idea here is this. We are not saved at all by our works, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, when we believe that Jesus Christ died and he rose again, when we confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, God takes our sin and he places it upon his son, right? Who paid the awful penalty for it on the cross. And he takes the righteousness of his son and places it on us so that we stand before God with the perfect righteousness of Christ, not any righteousness of our own. This is called justification. Justification, or to be more technically accurate, it's called the doctrine of justification by faith. All right, so along with this free gift, it's a free gift. God makes us a new creation in Christ and he comes to live with us by his spirit. So rather than being like scoffing at God and being self-reliant, we learn to live in dependence on God and we learn to live by his spirit. Amen? All right, so we live in the reverential fear and awe of God, but because of his abundant grace, uh, we no longer fear his judgment, right? That day of judgment is coming, um, but Christ already was judged for us, okay? So here's an interesting illustration. I thought it was cool. Maybe you'll think it's cool. Um, apparently, and I know at least one guy here knows about this stuff, um, so hopefully I got it right. <laughs> apparently, there's a technique uh, used by those who fight forest fires. Uh, firefighters set backfires uh, to stop the spread or, or change the direction of a wildfire. And they do this by like burning the fuel, whether it's grass or brush or trees, uh, in front of a wildfire so it has nothing to burn once it reaches that point. So the idea is that when the fire gets to where the backfire has burned, there won't be anything left to burn and the fire will go out. So God judged our sins in Jesus. If we're in Christ, he judged our sins in Jesus on the cross. You could say that the fires of judgment were burned in him. If we are in Jesus by faith, the fire that is coming on judgment day will not harm us. In us, it has nothing left to burn since Jesus bore that upon himself. Okay, so let's look back at, uh, at verses two and three again. It says, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings and you will go free, leaping with joy like calves led out to pasture. 
On the day when I act, you will tread upon the wicked as if they were dust under your feet, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So the son of righteousness is a reference to Jesus. Um, Zecharias, the father of John the Baptist, he used similar language to refer to Jesus when he, when he prophesied that John would prepare the way for the Lord. We see it in Luke 1. It says, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So because this is a messianic reference, right? The son of righteousness points to Jesus. um, There are a few implications that I want to unpack this morning. Number one, the son of righteousness brings light where there was only darkness. Okay? So these verses refer to the blessings of our salvation that begin at the moment that we trust in Jesus, but then grow brighter and brighter until that glorious moment when he comes again and we shall be caught up to be with the Lord forever. Okay? So outside of Christ, the world lives in spiritual darkness. They are blinded to the truth of God's word. Only Christ can open blind eyes. Right? And by his power, God delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life, John 8, 12. When Jesus shines his light into our darkness, suddenly we see. That's one. Point two, the son of righteousness brings healing where there was disease and brokenness. Okay, the kingdom of darkness brings spiritual sickness and death to the human race. The warm rays of the Son of Righteousness, Jesus, bring restoration and they bring healing. One commentary I read said that wings is poetic language um, for the rays of the sun. And so one of the devil's lies is to get us to think that sin brings true satisfaction and that righteousness is restrictive. But the truth is, sin brings shame and condemnation, eventually disease, eventually death, whereas righteousness brings healing and brings restoration. Have you ever been sick, like, where your, like, bones ache, right? And maybe, like, you look outside, and it's, like, all gloomy and dark, and it only adds to your misery, right? But then the sun breaks through the clouds, and you take a cue from your dog, and you go find a sunbeam in your house, right? You know what I'm talking about? I got dogs, they always find their sunbeam. And you, and you sit there in the sun, and, and it just like feels good on your aching bones, right? So that's an illustration of the power of the gospel. Um, when we turn from our sins and we begin to live in the warm rays of God's righteousness, Um, He brings healing from the wounds of our sins. Third point I want to make about the son of righteousness is the son of righteousness brings comfort and hope where previously there was only despair. 
So one of the good things about growing up in Florida uh, was the sunshine, right? It is the sunshine state. And so uh, when it's sunny, like all the time, you tend to take it for granted, especially in the winter. Um, but apparently there's this thing that people suffer from up north, maybe you know more about it than I do, called seasonal uh, affective disorder, right? Um, people get depressed because they live in the dark for months during the long, cold winters. And then when the sun starts to come back, like people celebrate, right? Sunlight brings them hope. Outside of Jesus Christ and the salvation that he brings, there is no hope. None. One of the most depressing phrases, like in the whole Bible, uh, is Paul's description of unbelievers in Ephesians 2.12. It says, in those days... You were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Right? But when the sun of righteousness rises in your heart, he brings the wonderful hope of eternal life. Okay, number four. Point I want to make about the son of righteousness. The son of righteousness brings great joy where previously there was sadness. So verse 2 in our reading says, you will go free, leaping with joy like calves led out to pasture. So I grew up in the, in the burbs, so I didn't see too many leaping calves. Um, but I did spend a summer uh, singing at a small opera house, for those of you who are new, uh, before I was in ministry, I sang opera, uh, singing at a small opera house uh, about 30 kilometers south of Munich in, in Bavaria uh, area there. And I lived with a family of dairy farmers who didn't speak any English, um, so I was forced to like get better at my German. Um, but anyway, it was there that I got to see calves leaping with joy uh, when they were let out to pasture. Um, apparently, after being cooped up in a stall, um, calves will literally leap with joy when they're let out. Anybody see this? Yeah. So for the believer, uh, there is tremendous joy of being freed from the bondage of sin and judgment. Right? The angel announced at the birth of Christ to the shepherds by saying, I bring you good news that will be, bring great joy to all people. Or I like to say it in the King James. I bring you glad tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. So there is no greater joy than the news that God has sent a Savior to set us free from the power of sin and the kingdom of darkness so that we can live with him forever in the glory of his presence. Right? So the Son of Righteousness brings light where there is darkness, brings healing where there was disease, brings hope where there was despair, and joy where there was sadness. And finally, the fifth one, the son of righteousness brings right where there was wrong. Malachi, uh, well, verse three in chapter four says, on the day when I act, you will tread upon the wicked as if they were dust under your feet, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So it goes without saying that in this world, Right? There are all kinds of injustices, 
um, where the innocent suffer um, and their tormentors literally get away with murder. Um, but when the sun of righteousness rises on that final day that God is preparing, um, all wrongs will be righted. Perfect justice will prevail. Um, that day, as I've said, will be a horror to those who don't have Jesus. But to those who do, it will bring incredible comfort and joy. So in regard to his second coming, Jesus said in Acts 1-7, uh, this is a side note, but I, I like to make it. Um, Jesus said, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. So I always find it funny when people try to predict, like, the date of Jesus' return. Like, if Jesus himself doesn't know the day, how are you going to know? Right? So maybe... Uh, Someone listening to me today needs to hear this. If you stand now opposed to God in your sins, turn from them. Run to the cross of Jesus and be covered in his righteousness. Right? Don't be caught off guard when God's day of judgment comes. If you have not given your life to Jesus yet, I hope and pray that today you are convicted today to turn to him. You see, I said today twice. That means it's supposed to happen today. Okay? Unless you are in Christ, there is no hope. None. And it's all grace. That is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. None of us deserve it. I stand here today 100% because of the grace of God. I did nothing to earn it. And if you are in Christ, it is the same with you. That is the good news that people need to hear in this world. And it is not, it is not like fire insurance for one day when Jesus comes back. It is a future reality that will begin breaking into your life right now. It will begin transforming you from the inside out. There is no better path than the path of following Jesus Christ. The last word of the Old Testament. Remember what it is? It's curse. The final words of the New Testament. They speak of grace. Right? Revelation 22, 21. It's the last verse in the Bible. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with God's holy people. Because of sin, the story starts with a curse. Because of Christ, the story ends with grace. Ask yourself this question. Am I under the curse of sin or am I covered by the grace of Jesus Christ? So if you have not yet made a commitment to follow Jesus, uh, you can do that right now. Um, or maybe you've drifted from the Lord. Like, you sense him drawing you back. If either of those is you, and you are ready to turn from yourself and turn to Jesus, if you are ready to make him the Lord of your life, 
You can pray with me this prayer. Pray silently this prayer. All right, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for making me and loving me. Even when I have ignored you and gone my own way. I need you in my life. I'm sorry for my sins. I ask you to forgive me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Help me to understand it more. Lord, as much as I know how, I want to follow you from this day on. Please come into my life and make me a new person inside. I accept your gift of salvation. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me grow in Christ and fulfill your calling on my life. In Jesus' name, amen.